0: Grant. Oh a jawbreaker. Hurry with the draw one by Jackson. Bane, step back three, bango. Hello, Grizzly fans, and welcome to this edition of the Core Four, one of the featured podcasts on the Grizzly Bear Blues Network. My name is David Buckler, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt Gill and Xavier Dotson. And it is our mission to bring to you a show each week that honors the great tradition of the Memphis Grizzlies while showcasing the excitement of today's NBA. Great to be with you both, guys. We have a lot to cover today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Busy show. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah,
2: exciting. Exciting show. Should be a, a good one. So tune in. Yeah,
0: and and the NBA schedule was released this past week. We're playing on Christmas Day 2022 for the first time ever. I'm super excited. And by the way, I feel like an idiot from last week's show where I, I wasn't that really into like the whole Christmas. And then once the schedule came out and we were playing on Christmas Day, now I'm really, really looking forward to it. How do you guys feel about our very, very first Christmas Day game ever?
1: Matt, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, We talked about it in the last show, and, you know, we kind of had our wish list and stuff. And I think the the Golden State matchup was kind of what everybody else wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's going to be a good matchup. Again, that clearly is a budding rivalry. And uh, I'm looking forward to that game for sure. The only reason that I, you know, I wish it would have been at home. That's the only other thing. I I wish it, you know, you could have gone and checked that out. That would have been fun. Uh, But, yeah, it's going to be a really good matchup. Looking forward to that. And, you know, the... Schedule release as a whole, not only Christmas Day, but the Grizzlies get to, you know, they have a lot of good checkpoints kind of in the season, getting the Martin Luther King game as they always do and should. But that's going to be exciting as well. And then, um, you know, obviously that Lakers matchup later in the year as well is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it in the Christmas Day game. I mean, the Grizzlies absolutely deserve it. And now the Charlotte Hornets, they're the only ones that haven't played on Christmas Day yet. So hopefully Lamelo can uh, put them on for next season or something like that. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, Matt, you stole my thunder. I was going to ask Xavier, what's the one team that hasn't played on Christmas Day? By the way, I don't remember like Detroit playing on Christmas Day or, you know, or like Sacramento. I was I was kind of surprised that Charlotte was the team that I don't know. I, I didn't know which was the one team left. Xavier, when you when when the schedule came out aside from the Christmas Day and some of the other things that Matt touched on, what are some of your other thoughts, initial thoughts on the schedule itself?
2: Um when I look at the schedule, I mean, at first I'm like, wow, we got the national attention now. 18 national televised games. I believe it's 28 if you include NBA TV. But yes, we finally have the national viewership and the Grizzlies deserve this. Um now it's like, okay, we have the target on our back and we gotta prove that mm-hmm. yes, we need to be on national television every single, every single night. And I look at the schedule. I check. I look at the opening opening few months, the first two months. I feel like that is not the rough. It's not rocky. I feel like we can win a bunch of games, especially without Jaron. So I I feel like they need to establish um, a winning record right off the jump. Um, Hopefully, the chemistry and guys are able to to learn plays and they learn their players, Um, and as well as the coaching staff encourage these guys. Like, hey. Like, we can make things work without Jaron, and now we have the national television. We got the NBA behind us. Let's show what the Memphis Grizzlies is about. Like, let's show this grit and grind. Let's show what Memphis is truly about and why we wanted to be on national TV and have the NBA back us up. I think you're a little more uh, positive.
0: I, I saw the schedule, and I'm, I'm a little more pessimistic. Every game I'm like, oh, my God, Detroit got better, and now Orlando's got – I looked at every game on the schedule like we're going to go 0-82. I'm, I'm just pessimistic. And, and, you know, and then now that it, it's good to talk to some of the other folks at Grizzly Bear Blues, people are really, like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be, and we're going to talk about that later on in our over-under, what's our first 20 games going to look like? Could be pretty favorable. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. So aside from the schedule, there was other big news also that Pau Gasol will join a long line of legendary big men with his number retired in the Lakers rafters next season they're going to honor him on March 7th his number 16 will go up there with all the other Laker greats and it's great that they're going to host Memphis you know at at that game I think that's pretty cool don't forget he was traded to Los Angeles in 2008 of course team with Kobe Bryant to lead the Lakers to three straight NBA finals appearances and two champions Matt starting with you when you heard the news that they were going to retire Pal Gasol's number there in Los Angeles what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, well deserved, obviously, and and the great thing is, it's it's why the NBA is one of the best leagues as a whole to to realize that they should do it on the night that the Grizzlies are coming to town. It's gonna be great. Obviously, Mark's gonna be there. Uh, the the other great thing is obviously. Pow, if you follow him on social media he's very close with the Bryant family so they'll they'll be mm-hmm. there as well so it's going to be a great spectacle not only just the game but you know that ceremony and he's, he's well deserved you know you mentioned the trade and I, I went back and, and looked at it because it really to me is one of the worst trades you know in all of professional sports Kwame oh, Brown, wow. Ari McKee, Jarvis Critton, the, the draft rights to Mark which is obviously the prize of it and then two draft picks that end up being Dante Green and grievous vasquez i mean just a just an absolute fleecing and like you said he goes on to lead him to three straight finals and should have been finals mvp in 2010 in my opinion so a great career obviously really well deserved and it's going to be as i said it's going to be a great spectacle not only just the matchup with the lakers but you know the whole television and uh you know entertainment aspect of it it's going to be a great night and as i said that's one of those big checkpoints for the grizzly season this year it'll be fun you
0: know man i It's funny to hear you say you thought it was one of the worst trades ever. Like, I remember the time when it went down, I wasn't that emotional about it because as good as Pal had been in Memphis and, you know, he averaged 18 and eight uh, with three assists over his six and a half years in Memphis. He had a really, really nice career, but Xavier, he didn't really lead the Grizzlies, you know, to the NBA finals. It wasn't like when he left Memphis, we had this long uh, history of winning because of what pal gasol had done i didn't feel emotional am i kind of missing something there i mean how how would what did you guys feel when he actually got traded was it a big emotional punch for you
2: um i mean i would i was a little bit emotional i mean he was the first star for the grizzlies yeah grizzlies for you um three playoffs runs but of course i mean he didn't they didn't succeed and get a playoff victory not once when he was there but although he did contribute and provide a lot for the city and for identifying the Memphis Grizzlies, putting it on the map. Um, of course, without Powell Gasol, Mark Gasol would not be here. Um, the contribution of him and that long term value of the trade. Yeah, going back what Matt's saying, like how it was like a highway robbery of a trade. Greg Popovich was even so, so mad when that trade happened. He wanted <laughs> David Stern to, like, come in. Like, it's no way that they should be committing highway robbery from us. But, I mean, of course, you look the long term. We got Mark Gasol. And, uh, I mean, some people say he's the greatest Grizzlies ever. But I sort of feel like the Lakers scheduled his retirement that day due to the fact I mean, we were pl- we're playing against them, and we haven't retired his jersey. A lot of people feel that Paul Gasol's jersey should be up in the Raptors. I mean, he's contributed a lot for the Grizzlies during the past. Um, I mean, he was one of the lead. He was one of the top top rebounders. I'm p- pretty sure Zach Randolph has overpassed past him. Um, I mean, the main scorer for the early 2000s Grizzlies, and then uh, I mean, he was a big commitment. Like like I said, but uh, I mean. Some people do have the tendency of saying like Paul Gasol was a soft player. Uh, it was a lot of questions behind Paul, but I mean, he proved that he was a Hall of Fame worthy player. I, I enjoyed his career and I feel like he does deserve his jersey in the Raptors for the Lakers with the Grizzlies. I'm a bit iffy on it, but each to each his own. So that's what I feel. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the
0: Hall of Fame because he's going to go into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And remember, it's, it's not the NBA Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is, you know, I mean, there's the Harlem Globetrotters are in it. I mean, it, you know, it's about, the, it's about basketball as a sport. He's clearly going to go in, and he's a wonderful international player and all of that. So, Matt, six and a half years in Memphis, six and a half years in Los Angeles, once Pal Gasol goes in the Hall of Fame, is he clearly going in, in a Lakers jersey? Or could we make an argument, please, Pau, go in, in a Memphis Grizzlies jersey? No,
1: nah, it's Lakers all the way. I think that that right. that ceremony, uh, allowing it to happen the night that they're playing the Grizzlies, is about all the nod that that we're gonna get for the Pau Gasol era, uh, which is fine. I do, I totally uh, understand that. That's that's where he kind of cut his teeth, and obviously, you know, found national acclaim as a basketball player just because it's such a bigger market. And like you said, the the success wasn't uh, there as much with the Grizzlies, but. You know, yeah, well-deserved, obviously going in, and uh, yeah, I mean, just a great player, great career all around, but yeah, I think I think even, uh, you know, even Powell's not not giving the Grizzlies too much credit on that. <laughs> I don't think that they contributed a whole bunch to his winning uh, or his uh, his all- Hall of Fame candidacy, so yeah, he's definitely going in and, uh, in a Lakers 16, that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much wishful thinking on my part there, but uh... yeah. I'm happy for him, and uh, I, at the time, I thought the trade would be really good for him, and, and it turned out, and as Xavier, as you mentioned, you know, Marcus Allen went on to be arguably, arguably the greatest Grizzly of all time. We probably should debate that one of these shows as well, but I think we should jump into today's feature topics. Topic number one, Xavier's X's and O's this week will feature John Moran, and it, you know, it's great. We talked about how many games they are going to be on national television this upcoming season. I'm super excited about that. But John Morant is obviously a big reason why. However, if he can't stay on the floor, not only will the team suffer in the standings, I kind of feel like in the ratings as well. So, Xavier, how does Taylor Jenkins keep
2: Ja healthy and happy this year? So, yeah, um, coming off this season, John Morant played 57 games out of 82 games. Um, sort of had an injury history last, last year. Um, played nine playoff games. Of course, he got injured at Jordan Poole incident. So it's kind of iffy, like, hey, is he leading towards an injury history? Um, how can we preserve him? So we look at this. Um, look at his minutes. Is he playing a lot of minutes? You look at the minutes production. He's In his three seasons, he's only averaging 32.2 minutes per game. So it's not like it's a heavy load on <clears throat> night. Uh, Taylor Jenkins is doing a great job conserving him with the minutes. Of course, during the playoffs, you play him as much because it's a win or go home situation. Um, What I'm starting to see and realize, I think a lot of the penetrations and attacking the rim is starting to catch up with him. I understand, yes, he's 23 years old. You can take those hits a little bit better. But in the long term, it's going to catch up with you. You're not getting any younger. You're getting older. (laughs) So I really think, yes, That the penetrations and going against those seven footers attacking attacking the rim, the guy's not going to allow you to make an easy layup. So, what can John Morant do to to preserve himself, allow him to play 82 games this season? Um, Especially now, he's going to have even more of a heavy load that Jaron's going to be out for the beginning of the season. So, we want John Morant out there. So, a lot of people feel, hey, he needs a three point shot. Well. If you look from his um, rookie year and sophomore year, he's improved on his three-point shooting. He shot at right at league average of 34.4% behind the three-point arc. And you could just see a lot more confidence of him shooting behind the three-point arc this past season, pulling it from deep range, almost having a three-point badge take over him. But I what I feel that will make him a complete point guard, because he's already perfect as he is. But what makes him complete is if he's adding that mid-range shot consistently. So, and I'm not asking for John Morant to do anything differently. When he comes off the pick and roll, is something that guards like to do nowadays. That's called snaking the pick and roll, staying low, having having control of the dribb- of the dribbles, um, utilizing the screen, especially when you got Steven Adams. Having the defender on the back, you have the open spaces for the pull-up mid-range. Um, a lot of times, of course, he has the mentality, I want to dunk on somebody here. He's going straight to the paint. You got the mid-range, bro. It's a reason why you look at guys like CP3. It's a reason why he's been in the league for so long and been, been effective for so long. That's a great he's point. Not, mm-hmm. He's not putting his body on the line. He's utilizing that mid-range shot. And I know the mid-range is a, a lost art in the NBA nowadays, but the best players utilize it at its most. And, and it's safe. It's a highly efficient shot. Now, I'm not saying that he needs to just be a mid-range maestro like DeMar DeRozan, but pick and choose your opportunities to score. Um, the mid-range is a, still an easy shot. Um, he can use, utilize that floater. He, he is a confident floater scorer. But the mid range, I really feel like that would set him for him to be complete, to be a complete guard and preserve him. Yeah, and I love your point about
0: 32.2 minutes a game. And certainly having Tyus Reese signed is going to help reduce Jaws' minutes. But I want to ask you, Matt, when he talks about the mid range and some of these things, Jaws' DNA is attack the rim. How do we get a player to kind of change who he just in his core? This is who John Moran is. He's an attacking player. We saw this a little bit with Jaron when he couldn't stay on the court because of foul trouble because he's an aggressive defender. Now, he did get better at that. But do you feel like as Ja kind of matures here over the next couple years that he will do more of that mid-range?
1: I don't know that he's ever going to be an above-average jump shooter just mechanically unless something really gets changed and somebody works with him. I I just don't see it it, it being a long-term solution for him but what Xavier said at the end there I totally agree with the floater is the key for whatever reason this season he went away from it but if you go back to that Utah series from two years ago the game where he dropped 40 he was just hitting floaters he, he's and floating, floating all day long that's all he was doing was just floaters 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 getting into the paint still making the defense collapse and either kicking out or hitting a floater Over Rudy Gobert. That's what he has to get back to. As Xavier said, I know that's his first instinct is to try and dunk over top of people. But I think that's all it is, is just add more of that float game that he has shown the ability to do. Like he has good touch around the rim. And I think that's more what it's going to take. But as far as job being healthier this season, like I I think this is going to be a huge year in terms of him load management. I think this is going to be the first year that we see some load management from John. I know he's a nationally loved player and everybody wants to see him every night. But I think after this huge contract, after the way the season ended last year with injuries, we're going to see him just not play as many games. And as you said, David, I mean, why else would you bring Tyus back on that deal? You know he's a really good player. He can start games for you, and he can win plenty of games for you. That's why they had an awesome record when Ja was hurt. Like, you can afford to – does John Morant need to play against Houston? No, he doesn't need to – and he doesn't need to play against Oklahoma City either. Let Tyus start games, win games, and take some of those miles off of him naturally. That's what I think that the front office, the coaching staff, and Ja all have to come to an agreement on at some point. He's a star player, and I don't know that you're really going to get that attacking to change from his game. That's what makes him so special. But eventually, we're going to have to start treating him like a star player like he is and start holding him back and save him from himself. And that way, we're going to have him towards the end of the season.
0: So what does this mean for Kennedy Chandler? Do you think that he then gets a roster spot, Xavier? Because if, if John's going to have some load management, perhaps, you know, not be the feature point guard, let, let, uh, it'll let uh, Tyus play the point. He plays well off the ball. Th- does this mean more
2: minutes for Kennedy Chandler than perhaps on the main roster? Um, I do see Kennedy um, have an opportunity this season. Hmm. I, I do see him as well being in the G League a little bit more. But opportunity will present itself uh, this season for playing with the Grizzlies. Because we lost two – you know, with with
0: the Anthony Melton and with Kyle Anderson, they both at times handled the ball at the point last year and gave Taylor Jenkins some flexibility there. Yeah. But I don't think that's what they want now. I think they want a true point, and I think that's why they drafted Chandler.
2: Yeah, I believe, like, Chandler is a long-term work in the process. Um, Offensive mechanics got to come a bit – bit better, but defensively, I feel like he's already there. Um, he showed in the summer league how aggressive he can be playing on the ball. One to cause turnovers, playing the passing lanes. And I feel like Taylor Jenkins sees that and we're going to need that, especially with the boy beat, losing Milton. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kennedy plays some meaningful minutes down the line. So um, yeah, Kennedy should see some action this season. <sighs>
0: This next section, Embrace Debate, will give Matt and Xavier a chance to make their case, to convince us that they are the true Grizzly experts on this panel. So, Matt, we all want Jaron back healthy. Once he is, will Jaron be our five in crunch time,
1: surrounded by a smaller lineup, make the case? Man, I hope so. It's been something that I've wanted ever since Ja really got onto the scene and really took that jump you know, as a second-year player when we knew he was something really special. I think spacing the floor and just giving Jaw lanes to attack and the ability to kick the ball out to shooters is going to be a really good long-term option for them. Something similar to what, you know, Dallas does with Luka or with, you know, one of the teams that really interested me was when uh, Houston first got Russell Westbrook, you know, and at that trade deadline that got rid of Clint Capella and Russell Westbrook kind of became their center, right? He was their main rebounder. And I think You don't need Ja to do all that. He doesn't have to be a guy that rebounds that gives you 10 rebounds a game, but being able to space the floor for him, going back to what I said, I don't know that he's ever going to be a long-term great jump shooter. So giving him the ability to attack the rim over and over and over again, I think that's the best way to do it. And he's clearly a great passer. He can make those passes out to the wings and being able to stretch the floor with so many guys on the perimeter. You know, Jaron's a fine three point shooter. I mean, he shot uh, – he's a career 35% guy of the guys la- uh, left on the team from last year uh, that took at least three three-point attempts per game. He was third in percentage and makes for the team. So, I mean, he still is one of their best shooters for this season. So, having him more – I you know, when I say I want Jaron to be the small ball five, I'm not necessarily saying that I want him back to the basket all the time. I think he's his best asset offensively is the ability to stretch the floor and being able to take – uh, advantage of certain matchups and bang with smaller guys down low when he gets switched on. But I think, you know, uh, it would be a really fun experiment. And, you know, he can guard bigger players. He obviously has the athleticism and the defensive leap that we saw from him last year, I think is only going to continue as long as he can get healthy. So I think that having him play a defensive five and maybe you can still keep a guy like Brandon Clark on the inside offensively is fine as well. But I just think that in the long term, you know, we saw at the end of last season in that Minnesota series like Stephen Adams just got played off the floor and for whatever reason you know Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff still wanted to play a token center by letting Xavier Tillman get three to seven minutes at the start of every game before going to Brandon Clark off the bench and I think just man just let Brandon start alongside Jaron. let those guys be your front court get out and just run and gun and uh, spread the floor for job I mean that's really where I think this team can get taken to the next level and when you start talking about contending for, you know, a championship and you start looking at some of those other teams, teams like Denver is going to be really good this year. They have a guy who's super skilled and, you know, Jokic, obviously. Golden State won this year without a true real center. Kevon Looney stepped in for him sometimes, but that's a guy Jaren could easily bang with and take advantage of. Teams like the Clippers, the Clippers were the first time, first team that exposed that Rudy Gobert can get played off the floor with a small ball five. So I think when you look at the Western Conference as a whole – Playing Jaron as your biggest player on the floor does not give you a disadvantage at all, in my opinion.
0: All right, yeah, well, Matt, you make some great points there. Xavier, how's the hole
2: up for you? So, yeah, I'm on the opposite end. of uh, Jaron at the five, I do like him closing at the five. It makes okay. sense. But although running the five from the jump, I'm, I'm in disagreement with that. Um, You look at the Grizzlies bread and butter this past season. We led the league in offensive rebounding. Um, we were top five in team re- total rebounding. And who was the main guy rebounding? Steven Adams. Stephen Adams posted career highs of rebounding at 10 rebounds per game, and I believe 4.1 offensive rebounds per game. And those lead to second chance, e- second chance points, easy opportunity baskets right there. Um, with Jaron running the five, he's not known for uh, an aggressive rebounder. He's always stretching the floor on the offensive end, which is not not a problem. But at the same time, if you run him at the five, you lose the offensive rebounding. Our second best offensive rebounder is Brandon Clark, averaging two rebounds, 2.1 rebounds per game. But I still feel like Steven Adams does that great job of being that brute force in the paint, grabbing rebounds and moving, maneuvering the stronger and physical centers out the way. Um, As well, with Jaron at the five, he's going to be more prone to foul trouble, I really feel like. Hmm. You're going to be faced against more guys that's willing to score in the paint. And that's where where Jaron receives most of his fouls inside the paint. Um, I I really don't want to afford having our best defender on the bench again, as much as he already is in foul trouble playing the four, I can see even more fouls coming, adding on to him at the five. And then as well, uh, I just, Jaron, at times it just looked like when he matched up against stronger defenders, stronger matchups like Embiid or Jokic, he becomes a little bit more passive. So, I I feel like having that guy like Valley Chunez and Adams to save him at the five really uh helps him because he's not being out-rebounded. Um he's not being is those other players not getting in his head. So Jaron at the five, at the end of the games, I'm all for it. Because Adams at the times, he does not look like he he belongs out there. Jaron really belongs at the end of the game at the five, because you have Clark as that extra boost of energy off the bench. Uh, And then, yeah, Jaron can stretch the floor. And like what what Matthew was saying, that job job being able to penetrate and kick it out to those wings and Jaron for the threes, like, that Utah uh, game winner that Jaren shot at the, uh, at the beginning of the season. Like, I love that. I love that. But Jaren struggles out-rebounding Rudy Gobert during the regular, during the regular season, like during the first three, the first three quarters. So Jaren at the five, I still feel like he needs to add strength um, being under control, but I still I, ideally, I would love him to be that five for the Grizzlies so we could slide Clark at the starting four position. Yeah,
0: but let me ask you this, guys Would we even be having this debate if Steven Adams wasn't so deficient, being honest, on the offensive end scoring? He has a lot of other nice pieces. We talked, you, Xavier, mentioned the rebounding. He's great and his defense. And I really like his uh, fit on the team in the locker room and all of that. But would we be having this debate? If he wasn't just a marginal offensive
2: player, um, I don't think so. Um, like it's hard to tell, um, because they've had success. I mean, you go back to this pl- past playoffs when Adams didn't play. I mean, you did have Xavier Tillman there. Xavier Tillman is a bit more mobile mm-hmm. and a little bit more skillful offensively than than Stephen Adams, but it's hard to tell if the, the if the success would be where the success with the Grizzlies would be without like the scent, without having the, the brute force center of Stephen Adams or like a Yonis Valachuna is. So I'm a, I'm a little bit iffy on, on that. What do you think, Matt? Do you think uh,
0: the offensive limitations of Stephen Adams uh, is why we're having this debate?
1: I don't think so. Honestly, I don't even necessarily view him as offensively limited, like sure, hmm. scoring wise, but like, I love his ability to pass, uh, you know, from the the elbow. And as Xavier pointed out, the offensive rebounding cannot be replaced by any other player in the NBA. I guess where I'm coming from with this whole thing, maybe isn't even about Jaron at the five, but it is about Steven Adams in, in, in that role instead of somebody else, because you're looking at the contract, like it's 17 million for Steven Adams. And I think you could get something pretty comparable from like Nerland's Noel for like $4 million. You know what I mean? Like, I think, In the long term, like that, those funds and like where you're putting, you know, where your salary cap goes has to go to other places. Like he can't be the third highest paid guy on the floor, I don't think. And I think that's more where I'm coming from. I like Steven Adams as a player. and, And like Xavier said, he's a huge part of what they do, which is rebounding and, you know, being able to, to, to fight off some of those bigger guys down low and doing a lot of the dirty work. And the screen game, like his, his ability to set screens for dudes is is unmatched. That and the offensive rebounding, I think he may be the best in the league at that. But I just think that there's so many guys where you can get comparable um contributions from other guys. And and you're not asking, you know, you talk about is he offensively limited is that what we're talking about I don't think like the scoring thing, I don't think you're asking him to, to you know we're, we don't need him to score any more than what he did this season even you, you know there's other guys on the floor who are there to score and I think you know his his value is in other places but I just you know I think in the long term that spot can be filled by somebody for less money and you know give a comparable output
0: this is a new segment Grizzlies over under where we make predictions on some key metrics that could affect this coming season let's start with this Wins in the first 20 games. Last year we started 10 and 10, including blowout losses to Portland, Washington, ugh, Miami, Charlotte, and Phoenix. Matt, after looking at the early season schedule, over under on the wins in the first 20 games,
1: I'm setting it at 11. Yeah, I'm going to go over here. And here's the reason I kind of broke this, the, the uh, first 20 games down, first 20 opponents into three tiers. First tier, games that the Grizzlies will win. That's a game against Houston, uh, at Houston, at Portland, Charlotte at home, at San Antonio, a home and home with Washington, and a game against Oklahoma City. So that's seven games uh, in those first 20 that I think the Grizzlies should and will win. So let's say that they win six of those seven. Uh, My second tier would be should win games. Uh, That's two against uh, the Knicks, two against Utah, two against Sacramento, who I think has improved. I kind of wanted to put them in that first tier, but I think that they're going to be a tough, Uh, team as well so two games against sacramento two games against brooklyn two games against new orleans if they go 500 in those games plus six of the first tier uh wins in those games as well they only need one more from my last tier, which is going to be tough games against dallas boston and minnesota i think if they win that minnesota games that gives you 12 wins right there and i think that that gets you over that 11 number so i think they're going to be my prediction is they're going to be 12 and 8 coming out of those first 20 games
2: how how do you see that Xavier? Would twelve and eight be a good start to the season? Yeah, I'm looking at that range, probably thirteen and 7, 12 and eight range. Yeah, I'm looking at the the uh, the difficulty of the schedule for the first twenty games is pretty moderate, really less than moderate. Um, like like Matt was saying, the Houston, the Utah, the Utah games, Portland, they have to take advantage and win those games. The, the to the weaker teams, um, you don't face a really tough opponent until was it? Yeah, November seven against Boston. And uh, November eleven you have Minnesota. I'm, I'm really feeling like Memphis is going to come out for that Minnesota game due to the fact that this past playoff series, we should be able to be over 500 for these first 20 games. I, I'm There's no doubt about it.
1: I'm, I'm highly confident about that. That three game stretch you're talking about though, Xavier, two, both of those games against Utah in Utah and then to Portland, I believe, that's a really, really tough road stretch. That's the only reason that I think they could get tripped up right there is you play two tough games in Utah, which is a place with a really good home court advantage, obviously, and then coming off of that, going to a Portland team who they're probably going to be overlooking, assuming they can win. That's a, t- that's a game where you can easily slip up when you're on the road like that. Those are the. That's the only reason I, I worry about that little three-game stretch right there. Isn't it weird
0: though that we're talking about a team like oh yeah they, you know they're gonna beat Utah a couple games they're gonna play you know like we're very confident a couple of years ago every game was like oh my goodness uh you know a tough opponent for Memphis but in the way they've improved we do look at some of these other teams like they should win but those games that you should win always make me the most nervous.
1: Yeah and I think it goes along with what Xavier touched on when we were talking about the national TV thing. I mean you have asserted yourself as a team that's supposed to be really good now you have to go and prove it you know what i mean like you you can't just assume that that win in portland is coming you have to still go and play the game and win you know there you gotta you still gotta earn everything that you're gonna get this season
0: okay the next part of over and under for this episode is games that jaron misses this season we know Triple J is out for an extended period of time due to his foot injury. Xavier, I'm going to start with you. How long do you expect this to keep Jaron out, over under 25 games?
2: I'll say right at 25, 24, 25 games. Um, I really feel like that he wants to play that Christmas matchup. If you looked at that TikTok video um, that he posted on his board, he had a quote by Draymond Green talking about how the Grizzlies was t- um, this past playoffs so he probably has that circle on his calendar, like, yeah, I got to be back for this game. He, he, he's probably eager to come before Christmas. Um, so I'm looking for him to come sometime in December, mid-December. That would put him right around that 25-game mark, right? Is that
1: yeah, – Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you think, Matt? Is that optimistic over-under? Um, In my opinion – when you're doing over-unders, you know, when it comes to injury, the the safer bet is always that he's going to miss more games than you think. There could easily be a setback. You know, the original number was four to six months after his surgery, which would be right around, I believe, like the end of November, perhaps, or somewhere in there. I think that no matter what, they're going to be cautious with him. I don't think they're going to be rushing him back, even though Jaron definitely is going to want to play. I think you look at this being the first year on his rookie extension, you know, $105 million, you're going to be paying this guy you you don't want to rush him back and risk further injury for a long-term asset like that so the safe bet is to say he's going to miss more games and uh you know that we're going to see him later in the season which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing when you look um into the long term but yeah I think that they're going to be cautious they're not going to rush him back and um you know they're going to have to find a way to get some wins in that time period. We're going to find out a lot about what this Grizzlies team this season is made of and what the coaching staff can do with it. What
0: happens though, if they get off to a bumpy start, a three and seven, a three and eight start in their first 10, 11 games, does that time frame for Jaron get accelerated because they may be like, Oh my goodness, the season is slipping away.
1: I don't think so. You know, in the first 10 games, three and seven, you know, as you said, we started off. The Grizzlies started off extremely slow last year as well, out of the gate, and they were able to write that ship. And again, I I look at this from a you know a twenty thousand foot view of this is your uh, you know second best player. You uh, you've invested a ton of money in him, and in the long term, he is a building block of your franchise. I don't think that a bad record at the beginning of the year, especially with now the play-in game, everything else. I don't think that they're going to be in that conversation, but you always have the option or the ability to gain some ground in the second half of the season, especially once the calendar turns over to January. You can catch up and play a lot better basketball once Jaron gets back and they'll be able to make up that ground if they are far behind. But I don't think, you know, in the first 20 to 25 games, if it's not going the way they think, they're going to rush him back. It's too big of an asset and he's too much of a huge part of this team to where they're not going to risk further injury, in my opinion. Okay, our
0: final topic for this episode. Welcome to Climbing Corner. This is a new segment on the Core 4, where we're going to present potential front office moves. Then Matt and Xavier will have a chance to put on their GM hats. Listen, running an NBA team isn't easy. So, guys, what would you do about, first, Kevin Durant? Is there a trade out there, Xavier, that makes sense
2: for the Grizzlies? Would Brooklyn even listen? Um. I don't think we have – I mean, we have the assets, but I don't think Brooklyn is looking for it for us. Uh, the, after that Rudy Gobert trade, that <laughs> shows how oversaturated the trade market is right now. So they're going to be asking for an arm, a leg, teeth, really the whole human body for a given Brown. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really hard to see. Um, I mean, we do have the young pieces. We got Zaire. Uh, most likely, we'll have to lose either Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson. I'm just not willing to do that for Kevin Durant. He's just on, on loose cannon. Um, you look at his age, what is he like, 33? 30? think he's 34.
0: He's 30, yeah, 34. Years old. I mean, you talk about Xavier. Uh, I'm sorry, you talk about Zaire Williams. Was he 20? Yeah, Yeah. It,
2: it, yeah it, exactly. So we know what, we ha- what we're we capable of without our young core. I know Kevin Durant is a Of course, a top 10 player, really top five player in the NBA. More than likely, we will contend right away. But we have a group that can last for a long, long time, like like the OKC days in the early 2010s. So it's it's it's, I'm not taking that gamble for Kevin Durant. Like I said, he's a loose cannon. You just don't know what you're going to get with him. One minute he's yeah, he's all in. But next minute, hey, I'm like, I want out. So I'm not I'm not I'm not going for that. So but Matt, you're running the team now, and you get a call from the
0: Nets, and they want, uh, you know, they want Brooks, they want Zaire Williams, they want five pick swaps for
1: four number one picks. What are you saying if Brooklyn gives you a call? Yeah, I think the interesting thing when you look at what the Nets want is they're one of the teams, if they're giving up Kevin Durant, they want another good player in return, whereas other teams like Utah may be willing to give up good players for picks.
2: So if the Grizzlies are going to do
1: a deal with the Nets in theory to get Kevin Durant, you have to give up one of your good players. Who's going to keep them in contention this year. And like Zaire, uh, Xavier said, man, we keep making it based yeah.
0: Xavier. I'm going start gonna be... calling him Xavier Dotson senior here. Pretty soon. I'm, I'm telling
1: you that that's going to be, we're going to have to fix that by the time the season rolls around. Right. Sorry about that, Xavier. Uh, anyways. Yeah. So um, I think, like I said, they, they want to be good this year still, so they don't want, they want good players in return, and I think that that leads to a deal that's going to be based around Desmond Bain, but Desmond Bain's contract is, like, the best-kept secret in the NBA. For what you get out of him, he's only making, like, a million dollars next year. Like, he, he is maybe the best contract in the NBA right now, but when you're making a trade, those salaries got to line up, and, and doing Desmond Bain for – uh kd isn't going to work so you got to give up a ton of assets in your war chest it's going to have to be adams absolutely has to be in that deal to make the salaries match it's going to have to be uh dylan brooks and probably danny green who i i see is somebody that they flip for somebody else during this season i don't know that danny green is going to be on this roster come playoff time so i think that those are kind of the pieces that you would have to use to get the salaries to match up and then maybe they still would want uh, Zaire Williams in uh, you know, on that deal as well. So I mean, it's it's just so much that you have to give up, and you have to give up players, not just picks. Yeah. And that when you're when you're a small market team like Xavier was just saying, they're built for the long term. They they're not gonna get huge names in free agency very often. You know, unless Ja really is a great pitch man and people want to start playing with him. But yeah, when you're a small market team like that, you have to conserve these assets and these players that you have and build for the long term. So I don't think KD is going to be uh, somebody that the, the Grizzlies or the Nets are going to be uh, making a deal around. The ringer.com had a
0: great article this week on player empowerment and, you know, talking about LeBron and KD and, and James Harden. And if you really look into it, giving all these players this much say over where they were going to go has not worked out for those teams. I don't want to hear about LeBron going to Miami. Remember it wasn't a trade, right? So if KD was a free agent and he wanted to come to Memphis, now we're talking about something that that would be very interesting and we would find the money. But if you're talking about exactly what you guys mentioned, these huge trade packages, now our depth is gone. Our future flexibility in the draft is gone Brooklyn's a mess. And and, and 18 months ago, we thought they were going to win like five titles in a row. You know, so I I think you guys are exactly right. I I like Durant if he was 25 years old and we would have him for the next 10 years. I would rather have Zaire Williams. I, I love him. He seems like a great kid. And I think giving up the guts of this roster for one player that's not named LeBron James at 25, is just, just not not worth it at all. Let's move on to Jaws Monster extension this past summer. Obviously a big piece of business. But, Matt, is Brandon Clark's extension next on Zach Kleiman's to-do list?
1: I don't think so. I believe the deadline is going to be October for them to reach an extension, if I have that correct. And if that, if that extension uh, is not done before that deadline, he's going to enter restricted free agency. Uh, this coming summer, and they'll have the ability to match any offer sheet. It's, you know, it's similar to what happened with DeAndre Ayton and the Suns this year. And I think with a guy like Brandon Clark, unless he has a huge season this year, which happens for a lot of guys in that contract year, that is when they play some of their best, you know, basketball is when they're trying to get paid. As long If that doesn't happen, then Brandon Clark's offer sheet is going to be an easy thing for them to match. And the Grizzlies will match that because he is so valuable to this team and what they've built. But I don't think they're going to be spending uh, more than they have to ahead of time. So, so Xavier, the thing, though, right, as fans,
0: we want this all
1: to be kind of taken care of. Because, like,
0: he's my wife's favorite player. He just loves Brandon Clark. This is why Zach Klein is paid to do his job. Because he's going to look at it from a business side, kind of as Matt mentioned, what would you do with
2: Brandon Clark right now? Oh man, I would go ahead and pay them, Man, you don't want to have another situation with like the Mavs just had with Jalen Brunson. They really could have got Jalen Brunson on the deal. I believe like was mm. like three year sixty-four mil, and they waited and shoot the Nick. The Knicks scooped them up and overpaid them. You just don't know if Brandon Clark could just have a random bounce crazy season. He's I call him Ripper roo The way he jumps up and down and and gets <laughs> the rebounds and and dump. Dumps the ball, so he has the opportunity with Jaron to be out. Like, hey, I got this. My contract here; these guys don't pay me. I really can make some noise. I can make some shake and score um eighteen plus, get average ten rebounds and get two blocks. Memphis won't Memphis won't be able to draw the line and make a, a huge payday for him then, because you got to keep in mind we got to pay Desmond Bain and Zaire Williams down down the road. So it's hard to say. So like. That's why I feel like they should go ahead and throw him a contract, maybe three years, sixty mil, or yeah, two two years, two years, forty mil in that in that um, range, because you just don't want to lose a guy like that that's valuable for this team. He's been valuable for us for mm-hmm. this, in these past three years.
0: Yeah, he has been. So the other real interesting piece that I want to talk about during today's climbing corner is Dylan Brooks' expiring contract could be a big trade trip coming up. But Xavier, is Dylan more valuable to us
2: as a trade asset or a long-term piece of this core going forward? Well, Dylan, Dylan got that dog in him. You just you can't you can't teach that from nobody else. So, as much as he he had made me so mad this past playoff, <laughs> game four against the Warriors, you you still value Dylan so high because it's nobody else that you're gonna get that brings that energy and effort. And like Memphis is the culture of the grit and grind. Um, Tony Allen, first team, all defense, all in your face type stuff. That's Dylan. Dylan, even worse than that. So um, it's hard to say. Then you got Zaire Williams creeping up behind him. He's gasping for a, a, a breakout year, a breakout. And I mean, he's going to want starter minutes eventually. So you have to keep that in mind. But the, the guy who's really going to put his body on the line and wants to be that guy to stop the opposing team best player. That's Dylan Brooks. I mean, you don't have nobody else around the perimeter that's willing to do that except for Dylan Brooks. So it's hard to say if you want to go ahead and extend him due due to the fact, like I said, with the Zaire coming along. Um, And then, like you said, he could be trade bait depending on if the Grizzlies don't, Depending on the Grizzlies, if they don't have a great start, you can utilize D- Dylan Brooks to, to get a better asset. So, but I,
0: I would argue that everyone likes Dylan, and we understand his vibe, but, Matt, there's a dollar value somewhere here where he is more expensive than he's
1: worth to Memphis. If you're the GM, what, what are you doing with his contract? I'm with Xavier on this one. I think he is – I think trade bait is our best-case scenario. Like, I, I, I think if uh, – you know – Zaire has a good start to the season. He starts playing the same way he kind of left off last season and he can show. And I think they want him to be that defensive guy like Dylan has been. And I think that they feel that in in the long term, he can fill those shoes. We saw him trying to guard Steph Curry at times last season, playing against some of the better perimeter players when, uh, you you know, during that time period when Dylan Brooks was out. Uh, you know we saw it when he had the suspension against golden state there were other guys that had to step up and contribute on the defensive end and uh you know i i i would like to see him traded i think that it's one of those situations where it's kind of gone past as you know we've had a we've had a good run here dylan <laughs> let's uh maybe p- far ways and, and find some greener pastures i got a couple different uh trades i was looking at one guy that I think could be interesting and maybe could kind of step up on that defensive end, they could do Kyle Kuzma and, and Dylan Brooks straight up, and that's something that I would really be interested in. I think Kuzma has great scoring ability. He's obviously got great size. Um, so that that's a, just one for one. Those rarely happen in the NBA, but that's something that I could be interested in. There's also this kid in Detroit, Sadiq Bey. He is, mm-hmm. like, one of my favorite uh, league pass guys. And, uh, you know, it would take a lot probably for them to get him. They'd have to do them a favor. You'd probably get Kelly Olenek's contract back as well, and you got to give up a pick and maybe one of your rookies. But Sadiq Bay is a guy who had a 50-point game last year. Uh, you know, he was a really good three-point shooter as well. He's 6'8", 215, uh, 36% three-point uh, career shooter, and the, the, the final year of that Kelly Olynyk deal is not fully guaranteed, so that's a trade I could see them making. But the, the big trade that I wanted all summer, and I want to get your guys' take on it, is to make a play for Donovan Mitchell. I talked about it with the Nets, but I think Utah is a team that is not necessarily super committed to winning this season and maybe in the next couple of seasons. I think that that's a team that's looking to unload assets. as We saw them get rid of and move off over to Gobert and start accumulating picks. That's something that the Grizzlies can help them out with. The only problem is, obviously, you get a lot smaller on the perimeter, but a deal that looks something like Dylan Brooks, Stephen Adams, one of the rookies, and, and you know, as many picks as they want for Donovan Mitchell is something that I also would be really interested in. Ugh. I gotta tell you, like that—that's where
0: it gets into. Like, do you want to win or do you want to have fun watching basketball? Because I—I—I I like your trade there. I—we hate that. <laughs> like, he's our least favorite player in the league, and it's from all the years. Why the last couple of years watching the Jazz and the... Oh my god! Like, whenever we play Utah and and Mitchell drives us crazy. So if if he's wearing you know Grizzly Blue next year, like oh, it's just. I don't know. I'm a, as a Cowboys fan, I can't root for the Eagles kind of thing, and I, I, I don't That's really fair. want. That. I don't want Donovan Mitchell on Memphis, even though maybe basketball wise he would help us. Xavier, help me out here.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. I don't, I don't too much want Mitchell with in the, in the downtown on the FedEx form. Come on, guys. If I have to watch him in the deep breath at the
1: free throw line, is Oh, I just can't stand him. Just Man. can't stand him. I didn't think I'd get that kind of reaction from y'all. I like Donovan Mitchell, honestly. He was terrible on defense last year, but I've seen it. What, what do you think, Xavier?
2: That yeah, that's the this the thing. Um, it's it's about commitment now with Mitchell. If he's great offensively, but defensively, he has to put in the effort. De- defense can't be taught. It's about how bad do you want it. Um, he has the length. I think he has. He's was he six three? He has like a six ten wingspan. So yeah, he has the potential to be a great defender, but. If you're not bringing the defense here in Memphis, we're not going to back back up behind you. We have the star player already, a John Morant, so it's no point of having another scorer if you're not going to bring, other, I mean, another play on, on the other side of the ball as well at, at your best.
1: Uh, Dave, as a, as a Washington guy, what would you think of the Kuzma option? Just Kuzma for Brooks, straight up. Who says no? That's a very interesting point you make, and and
0: they don't love Kuzma here in Washington for some reason. I I don't see him as a long-term piece of the Wizards, so I think he's going to be moved somewhere, and I think if you dig into his stats, he's a pretty good NBA player, kind of weird to fit in L.A. and didn't, I don't know, and then he dyed his, his hair. He's kind of going, if you really look at his career, he's had kind of a strange kind of journey so far, but he's, he's a high-level NBA player, and the Washington fit is not great. So he's going to make someone, I think, very happy, whether it's a team like Memphis. But he'd be a nice fit, I think, in Phoenix. I think he'd be a nice fit in Dallas, in Denver. These teams are, are like maybe a player or two away from really pushing into the finals.
1: Yeah, he'd be a problem on Dallas. But, yeah, Sadiq bay that's my guy. That's who I hope they traded. Till <laughs> for.
0: that that detroit we we can have a whole show on that young detroit roster because they've got some interesting pieces too yeah
2: Yeah.
0: absolutely so guys that's our show for the week remember the most important aspect of the show was you the listener you are the final piece of our core four make sure you follow us on twitter at the core four podcast and send us questions or topics you would like us to discuss on an upcoming broadcast matt where can the listeners find you on social media
1: At Matt H. Gill, M-A-T-T-H-G-I-L-L on all platforms. Thanks. Roger
2: that. And uh, Xavier, how about you? Um, Twitter and Instagram, Zaytime Takes. And then my TikTok is underscore X Z A Y. Excellent,
0: excellent. You can find me at DLB19338. I want to thank you both for a great show today. And we want to thank you for tuning in and being a part of the Core Four, the show for hardcore Memphis Grizzlies fans.